Hey guys, happy holidays. This season and year isn't over just yet. And as you know, there are always, always, always women in music who deserve the spotlight. So let's get to it. When I got connected to today's guest, I was just in awe by her. I was studying her and it seemed like each accomplishment I uncovered was just more grand than the one before. Today's guest is a woman in music who has touched some of the biggest songs in modern music, but listen as she nicely shuts me down after calling her a superhero. I mean, I love it because to me she is. Female producers are the superheroes of the music industry and let's not forget the recent study this year by USC that found 2.8% of music producers in the industry are women. That's it, 2.8% with significantly less being women of color. So yeah, let's, let's change that. Let's change that. Today's guest is Ebony Smith. Ebony Smith is an award-winning music producer, in-house audio engineer at Atlantic Records, singer, songwriter, and founder and president of Gender Amplified Inc., a camp experience that supports women and gender non-binary people in music production and audio engineering. Ebony holds a master's degree in music technology from NYU and a bachelor's degree in Africana studies from Columbia University. She's also received Grammy certificates for her work on the Hamilton um, with the original Broadway cast recording, Janelle Monae's Grammy-nominated album, Dirty Computer, one of my favorites, and Cardi B's Grammy-winning album, Invasion to Privacy. Other top artists Ebony has worked with include Charlie Puth, Miss Lauren Hill, The Roots, Kodak Black, Zoe Kravitz. We talk about Rob Thomas. We, I mean, just so many people. In this special two-part episode, I had the opportunity to dive deep into Ebony's self and career. So, enjoy. Introducing Ebony Smith. How did music have an influence on your early life? Mm -hmm. So I, music was something that I took to naturally and instinctively at a very young age. I mean, under five years old, I, wow. I could just play. Um, that's the way I've always explained it. It's kind of like no instrument has ever been foreign, right? You know, I've always been able to pick up an instrument and make sense of it. Um, and piano was something that I took to very instinctively, just felt intuitive the way the keys felt under my hands. And on top of that, there's always been a very emotional and intimate relationship that I have with every instrument. Um, there's something about, especially acoustic instruments, um, the, the connection between the, the tactile experience of, you know, putting my hands around an instrument and, and giving it meaning through the mechanics of actually learning how to play it. Mm, mm, something mm. very spiritual about that there's catharsis um there's release um and so it's always been i, I tell people you know i it, it's always been my drug music has always been yes. means of producing calm um releasing stress but also self-express self-expression expressing myself using the instruments that i play using the harmonics that they produce um, whether those be acoustic or um, electronic, yeah. just, you know, the, very, from a very, very early age, I found that um, to be a safe space for me. Wow. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, I think it's really obvious that um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're like, I'm like a, a, a vibrations or frequency person. I am. Absolutely. It, it kind of sounds like, 
you're born with it. It sounds like you're born with the, the the vibration of the frequency of of music, whatever that is. You know that 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 connectedness that is just innate. It's just in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So so then, at what point did you realize the music industry could be your career? You know, I think it came fairly late in my life. So I was already good and out of college, right? I I never saw working in the music business as being a a job that I would want, right? I always wanted to be a music maker, a musician, a music producer, an engineer, but I didn't feel like there were necessarily jobs in the business for myself, right? I didn't think that, you know, there would be a space for someone to actually be employed at a music company doing that. I assumed that most people at labels or publishing companies or even production houses were mostly administrative, business, legal, marketing, um, A&R, coordinators of some kind, managers. I never saw I never saw the music business as having salaried creative positions until I actually had one. Mm, you know, so, I relate, I relate to that too. Yeah, yeah. So I and and I do think that it's still a rarity. It's oh yeah, it's oh yeah. Rarity. I want to get to that too. But you know, I was out of college before I realized that there was something like that. And partly because in college there were no programs or courses that mirrored that as being a potential lucrative and practical aspiration, right? I had Mm -hmm. parents that steered me away from arts administration and arts-related courses of study in college. Um, And also, I was in college during a time when there wasn't as many uh, industry programs. Yeah, right now, there wow. are way more industry programs. I, I was in college. I started college when the Clive Davis Institute began. Right? Okay. Clive Davis Institute was pretty much the model for so many other programs that have, have come up in the collegiate education system. Um, I think Clive the Clive Davis Institute at NYU was the blueprint that showed a lot of colleges and universities that you could actually have a full-on curriculum based around industry studies yes and occult industry skills that could actually create opportunities and produce jobs for young people um that was not the conversation when i graduated high school so I had to figure it out on my own. It's crazy that until you're like in the music industry a little, even a little bit, like you really do not realize the positions within the industry. Um, same for me, Clive Davis Institute. I mean, that is the blueprint. Um, my school, I'm not going to say my school is modeled after that, but um, I, I really didn't know of any jobs, especially for women. Mm. Um mm-hmm before going into college. So I got lucky because um, I, I did find a college in music, um, contemporary music, but um, literally six months before that, I was going to study psychology. Mm. So um, yeah, I just I just totally relate with you saying that. And um, that leads me into wondering more about um, NYU. So can you tell us a little bit about your studies at NYU? NYU was the school that taught me how to hustle. I, I say that. Mm. Um, I, to be honest, I don't think a hustler is something you can learn to be. 
Um, I think it's built in you and certain spaces and organizations can help bring that quality out. And NYU is definitely that type of institute. Um, you can get as much or as little as you want out of NYU. And I took a very entrepreneurial approach to my graduate study. So I went straight from undergrad to grad school. I did not, I took three months off, right? So I graduated Damn. in the spring and that that following fall, I was a graduate student. So I was very young, I was the youngest person in my cohort close to the youngest, probably, it probably might've been like one or two people younger than me. Um, and I was fascinated with becoming a music producer. That's what I wanted to do. So I was studying music technology at the time at the Steinhardt school at NYU is a comprehensive program that teaches you everything audio related, right? Or attempts okay, to, okay, okay. attempts to in the, in the length of time of the course of study. And I actually wrote my graduate thesis on what I termed at the time, royalty-free music production services. I, I said that those would be the services of the future. Basically, I didn't have the language as, as we all didn't at the time. We didn't have the language for streaming service. We didn't have the language mm -hmm. for digital service provider, right? So mm -hmm. basically my argument when I said I'd um, that the royalty-free uh, services would be successful just basically that was my way of saying that services that did not charge people to listen to music and really I didn't have the language at the time but it was probably more accurate than the language that we currently use right because, yeah. um, a lot of the streaming services pay very small royalties right to the creators of the music um, very, very small payouts for the master recordings, um, the streaming of the master. Recordings. So you saw this, you saw this so immediately saw as a this, change that you wanted to I saw this, to yeah, I saw that as being a very critical shift in the music business um, because I was studying peer-to-peer -peer networks. I'd studied Napster. I'd studied technologies that were beginning to underpin the ways in which uh, consumers acquired and disseminated music. I was studying that um, technological framework at the Steinhardt School and working as a production assistant at the Clive Davis Department um, between classes and on the weekends and at night. Wow. wow, wanted, wow. So I wanted to be a Clive, I wanted to be a Clive student so bad. I didn't know about Clive Davis. And had I known, I probably would have transferred there from my undergraduate school. <laughs> um, but I didn't know about it. And plus all the all the students there were my age, right? Cause I was like 22. Wow. So all the students there um, became some of my closest friends and, you know, we would make music together. I was essentially, you know, one of their uh, peers, even though I wasn't in the classes, I was, um, you know, kind of working as a, a TA or a production assistant in their classes. That's an end access though. to the studios. It gave me access to a lot of the events that they were having, which were star studied. Of course, I got a chance to meet mm -hmm. Clive Davis. I got a chance to meet Alicia Keys. You know, it was great. It was a very star studied experience. It fueled you. And That's what it sounds like. It showed me that I, I could be there if I wanted to be there. Yes, 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 yes. How amazing. It sounds to me like you're, um, I was going to ask if you're an advocate for higher education, like even though people say it's it's who you know, not what you know in this industry, but I'm also an advocate. So 
would you say you are a thousand percent um i am who i am because of my academic studies you have to get it somewhere right um you might not necessarily get the degree you might not need it but you definitely need uh, let me not say you i i believe that um it behooves a person to spend a lot of time studying and being in critical thought about whatever it is that um, he or she may be passionate about, right? Building some sort of academic relationship with what you're passionate about is the thing that creates enterprise, is the thing that creates financial and professional opportunity. Um, and that, that, that's been my experience. I love it. I love it. And there's so many skills within school, you know, and studying that you learn, whether it's organization or just taking notes. Like I was actually going to put a note on here, like about that specific um, question, like you kind of have to study. I mean, I don't know this yet, but you likely have to study some of the artists that, you know, come into your studio before you work with them. And that studying skill, you know, does come from what you know and, and how to apply it. A thousand percent. So how long did it take you to become a full-time producer? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been in-house at a label for many years. And, you know, that took about 10 years to get myself to the point where I had done my studies. I had also done enough from an entrepreneurial standpoint, meaning I had recorded enough artists on my own and put enough music out on my own and um, had really attempted to create my own um, creative work. And that plus just all the years of uh, working in studios, engineering in studios, uh, meeting other producers, learning from them, you know, one thing led to the other. And I guess about 10, yeah, about 10 years, took about 10 years for me to get a full-time job as a producer engineer and also the engineering part came first right so I, I worked okay as an engineer for a long time before I ever got any production credits because mm -hmm. at NYU and even before that well before NYU actually um, okay and w even when I started in the business I I my first job was as an engineer I wasn't producing it not professionally I was doing it still on the side um at night yeah at night in the evenings I was producing all my friends you're putting out everybody's EP and everybody's singles you know and my friends were my clients at the time and I was charging them very small amounts but they were willing to pay it you know and that was the thing that gave yeah. me the motivation to believe that eventually my rates could rise and and over time they did I can tell that you have such an entrepreneurial spirit. And um, personally, I think that's important for anyone in the industry, but, you know, especially women, because if we can, um, I mean, I guess it's just kind of like know what we want and how to get it. You know what I'm saying? There are all these obstacles no matter what. And, you know, we'll get into that too. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I like, I honestly love to hear you say that it took 10 years. Of course, everyone wants it to happen tomorrow. But like I said, I do have a lot of um, college listeners and that is just, I mean, your catalog, what you've done, what you've worked on, 10 years is not that, it's not that long for how incredibly accomplished you are. This message is for my Oklahoma community, where I was born and raised and have so many loved ones. Accidental overdose is everywhere. 
OKIMReady.org is an online platform made as a tool to help Oklahoma combat substance use disorder. They have access to both free naloxone and fentanyl test strips. Naloxone, aka Narcan, is a medicine used to reverse overdose. If you live in Oklahoma, you can order both for free right now on OKIMReady.org. Carry it with you next time you go to a concert. Carry it with you if you're on prescription medicine. Carry Narcan with you for our community, our musicians, our elders, our best friends. Carry Narcan to save a life. Okay, I'm ready. Are you? You said you're an in-house engineer. What does your day-to-day look like um, as an in-house producer for Atlantic Records? Interestingly enough, it's still quite entrepreneurial. Um, In the beginning, you know, I'm 10 years in at Atlantic Records at this point. So in the beginning, it was mostly engineering, editing, a lot of audio editing. In the beginning, I was editing podcasts and I was doing... Um, radio liners and custom drops for DJs you know I would uh, sometimes I would do as many as 500 600 custom drops for DJs for the show I developed a level of proficiency and precision with audio editing that mm. I pretty much owe to that um, wow all, and likely deadlines yeah too. absolutely being professional staying on top of deadlines but also it gave me very a lot more appreciation for what the radio team did um mm. and then and now you know that was the very beginning now I am producing albums for the for the company I produced Electra Records whole holiday album um this year um and so when we're in full album mode in production you know that can look like 12 to 16 hours a day just you know wow. mixing editing producing you know comping tuning um, hiring musicians, you know, pulling together the whole project, managing a budget, um, going back and forth with different artists and their teams and management and administratively also advocating for my team. You know, if I bring on other producers or other engineers trying to, you know, lobby for their payment and also lobby for them to get points if that's potential to do. What does that mean? So advocacy from behind the scenes right you know when you're talking about the personnel associated with an album or a single um points pertains to percentages on royalties okay for example one point would be one a one percent royalty which could be very lucrative you know if if you are an upcoming year for anybody right if yeah yes you're the engineer let's say um, who recorded Whitney Houston on I Will Always Love You mm. uh, back in the 90s, and you got a one-point royalty, you probably don't have to work anymore, right? Wow, great example. That's a great probably, example. And you probably won't have to work for a long time. Damn, I love that you said you are making sure that your team's taken care of. To have a big opportunity like that, that's that's life-changing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And you never know what a record's going to do. Um, just to go back to that previous example of I Will Always Love You, I'm sure no one in the studio that day, no one associated with the release of that song uh, had any clue what it would do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know, I think it's still the number one selling single of all time. Oh, my God. So I'm pretty sure not Dolly Parton, the songwriter, you know, y- you write a song, you know, and the singer potentially isn't even born yet. You know, the person is going <laughs> to yeah. make it uh, an instant classic or a record that lives for a very long time. And, you know, you also don't have a good sense of format. You know, when Dolly Parton wrote, I will always love you. Um, 
I'm sure she didn't realize, foresee the coming of the CD generation. I'm sure she didn't foresee the coming of the streaming era. I'm sure she didn't see the 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 you know the the movie that will be released at the end of the month with Whitney on Whitney Houston's life where they're going to be using that song again, right? I'm sure she didn't. How could she think about that? I'm sure she didn't foresee. Yeah. You know, creative sometimes we're just out here making stuff because that's what we love to do, and it makes yes. us happy, um, and it and it gives us. Our, gives our lives great purpose. But the truth is, um, there's a whole economy and ecosystem um, being built around uh, the management of the rights associated with all the music that we hear, right? Um, yes, when yes. We ingest the song when we listen to it, when it goes through our auditory system and it affects us. I don't think we realize just how many people are involved um, mm-hmm. in a single probably has 50 people involved, right? Creative, business and legal, marketing teams. Um, It takes a lot of effort to put these songs together, um, which is why it can be somewhat disappointing that um, the music is really being experienced for very little compensation to the people Mm -hmm. who make the art, you know, but it's a very profitable space. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And if, if, when you when one gets into the music business as a creative, it is important whether you're an engineer, producer, or, or composer, or what have you, songwriter. It is important to know what your rights are and that there's agency there, and how to protect that agency. And one way is to do that is to ensure that we're requesting the proper percentages or royalties um, associated with our art. Man, I have so many questions. So, okay, I just want to quickly to add to that. How does someone, you know, let's say like, how does someone know um, the percentage in which they should ask for? There are industry standards. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Too. There are certain like, industry standards. A well-educated music attorney will be able to help with that. But also there are resources out there. Um, there are some great books. Um, the one that uh, immediately comes to mind is everything you need to know about the music business, which is a pretty standard book. It's, it's comprehensive. Um, the Bible. It's yeah. That's what people say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think one could just kind of keep it, um, keep it just around as a, a guide, as a reference guide. I don't, I don't know that you have to go in and read everything cover to cover, but if, if you find that you you find yourself a little stuck, you know, having a question about something. There's a chapter on just about everything. That book is amazing. Good yeah, good luck. Good luck to anyone trying to read that front to back. I tried a couple of times, <laughs> especially with ADHD. That does not work. Um, but it's a great book to carry around. I I, I definitely agree. Um, a couple of things that you you know started to, to touch on is that there are a lot of people behind one song. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of leads into what I want to talk to you next about, which is um vulnerability as a producer. Tell me if I'm wrong, but from recent experience, producers hold a certain empathy that comes from producing for and with artists. Um, I don't think producers get enough credit for like the meditative state they have to be in when helping translate the artist's emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I see producers kind of like as the great communicators. And I was wondering how you mm, clear your mind before going into a session. Mm -hmm. That's a really great, great question. Um, I think the more I've learned about being a producer is that it's kind of the job of a vibe specialist for the lack of terminology. Um, if you're responsible for anything, it's 
ensuring that the the energy is a high productive energy and a high creative energy and that requires the protecting of not only your mind and mental space but the protecting of those who are part of the session right um mm-hmm. I am learning how to be great at that um that's probably a constant evolution constant evolution I'm learning how to be great at that especially when you come from engineering because engineering is uh, about taking whatever the producer's vision is and translating that in technical terms right whatever the artist needs and translating that into technical terms um, and actually doing the the tactile work associated with that, right? Using the mechanics of your body to facilitate whatever the vision is. Wow. But the producer is the holder of the vision and the artist is sharing in that capacity building and that, that managing that capacity for holding that vision. So the producer is a bit of the nexus, right? He or she is the nucleus of the cell um, holding everything together. And it, it's important that everyone uh, under the supervision of that producer is um, filled or full. Um, they have a positive attitude. Um, they're able to help um, sharing the vision and the holding of that vision. And so, um, as they say, things start from the top down. Um, the producer, in my experience, for me, I have to constantly be aware of what that role is and what that means to me. So first of all, there's that self-awareness that comes with that. And then after that, I have to ensure that I'm spiritually and mentally fed. And that looks like a couple things. So like the first thing for me is as a Christian, it means meditating on the tenets of my faith. Um, that means Bible study, that means prayer, that means supplication, that mm-hmm. means fasting, that means tithing, right? Like all the things that are central to my faith um, so that my spirit can be informed in all the best ways, right? And once mm-hmm. my spirit is informed- Bring the vibes. Yeah, once my spirit is informed and I, I feel healthy and fed, um, you know, then it's about the disciplines that I uh, implement- to further sustain that sense of well-being so there's exercise yes um, there's cooking there's preparing meals I bring a gallon of water to the studio all the time always drinking water um always packing meals that will sustain me over um large recording sessions so oatmeal is a mainstay um asium field meals that's a you know mainstay um, whole grains, quinoa, and vegetarian. So it's important to ensure that I'm supplementing my diet with the healthy proteins, healthy fats. Um, and to be honest, you know, I bring this up and it sounds like a like a small thing. Like, why is she talking about food? Because it sets the tone in the room. Yes. Right? People see me pull out my gallon of water and they see me pull out, you know, my almonds and, you know, my grapes. And I think it, it really does set an intention. And I've heard assistants who have um, helped me, engineers that I brought in over the years will say things like, you know, the week I worked with you, I started to reassess um, my whole existence as an engineer. Like I started to reassess my whole life. Like the way you carry yourself influences me. 
um, to carry myself in a certain way. And um, the way you're punctual, the way you show up, you know, the way you carry yourself, I'm observing. And I didn't realize how much that type of etiquette really set the tone in the studio, but it, it definitely produces a high level of efficiency. Mm-hmm. It also, the tenets of that um, sense of wellness and health also finds its way in the music often. Um, the subject matter it finds its way into the songwriting. Um, you know, when people are finding a deeper sense of self-value and self-esteem because of the way they're treating their bodies and the way they're treating themselves, um, I found that that's the best way to manage the vibe, you know, like God, yeah. it's it's literally leading by example and not really saying a lot, but doing a lot. And uh, that tends to be very calming. Mm. Um, another thing is I think emotions can run wild in the studio. People mm. uh, will get defensive, you know, um, artists can be very temperamental. And, and that's usually a, some sort of protective defense mechanism, you know, because they want um, to be understood and 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 I can understand that I can relate to that as an artist you know I've been on both sides of the glass right you know so um trying to manage attitudes with very small things like keeping a smile on my face I've had to learn that yeah that's that's actually a wonderful tactic um is smiling uh I've had I, I am one that's not a natural thing for me I've had to learn how to do that and I've I've learned that smiling comes from the inside. Like, it's not like you can put a smile on. You just have to be, you have. That's to so be. badass of you to say, like, you had to learn how to do that. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah. um, that is a, smiling is a great gift. It is also a great strategy for managing mm, expectations yes. and managing energy. It's, it's a very quick and easy thing to do, but it has to be authentic. It can't be like, let me smile real fast. People can see a phony smile. They can so, feel it. Yeah, they can feel a phony smile. So you have to actually be good with you. And the work has to come from endless and endless hours of uh, self-reflection, introspection, um, study, meditation, things like that, that help to curtail the heart um, so that you're actually in a good position to receive people and you 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 develop a curiosity about people and you actually Mm -hmm. do love people like that's kind of where it comes from wow Um, and you're inviting them that's what the smile is it really is just an open invitation for them to come into communion with you wow ebony you are you are beautiful i'm over here like almost tearing up just because everything you're saying right now is like what everyone wants in a producer <laughs> I mean not to say like you're the superhero producer but you kind of are let's be real um I str- listen let me just say this well thank you first okay. to say that but secondly let me say I'm I'm becoming this producer you know I'm, these are discoveries that I'm making in real time and I failed enough at <laughs> certain things to where I'm just kind of you know I'm understanding from my mistakes you know um mm-hmm. You know, when I might have been hard on artists, you know, as opposed to using more of a hospitable energy, you know, mm. when smile I, strategy. When I haven't, when I haven't been um, in my greatest health, you know, coming to the studio tired and exhausted, you know, after a night of drinking, dehydrated, and and you wonder mm-hmm. why you're not getting the results you want, right? It's like go to sleep, drink water, you know. It's like really. Yeah. 
it's it's really simple. Don't overextend yourself. Don't exhaust yourself. Like this is it should be enjoyable. The studio should be enjoyable, and not all producers take that perspective. Some producers want to keep the environment as contentious as possible, and mm-hmm. I think that is a methodology. It's just not mine. I think that you know, hearing you even say you know you you have failed a lot and learning from your failures, I think is. Uh... You know, it's it's crazy to hear you say that, you know, when when I'm like, you're a superhero, you're like, no, wait a second, which just makes me feel like even, you're even more of a superhero, because I think what I want to say is like you are I can hear your discipline and discipline is a lifelong skill. Um, and I don't something that I think a lot of people don't realize either is that you are you're right, like the, being the nucleus of the music, like not only are you um, affecting does does your energy affect the vibe, but this song, the song that you're making could could influence thousands and thousands of people, you know, and it's your vibe right there. That smile strategy, the keeping the good, the good energy, um, the drinking the water, the being a good influence like that. I have chills like that is that shit matters. That is what matters. So um, I'm not sure, you know, what what failures you had to go through, but whoever's listening, like drink your water and put a smile on. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's small like it's small but it's big like people ask me how do you how do you get started and the answer is always with what you have if you have a smile and a positive attitude that's literally like step number one like you can cross Mm -hmm. it out because that's what's going to give you 90 percent of the edge against everybody else Mm -hmm. and you can handle those right you know and if you can add to that some administrative savvy and obviously a great work ethic and mm-hmm. some know, self-love some self-love if you can add to that but like a it, every all roads begin at a smile and a positive attitude period i love that i love that period i think there are a lot of uh, misconceptions about the music industry from the outside looking in and um i think that producers like i just said you know they don't, you, you guys do not get enough credit audio engineers don't get enough credit. <laughs> Editors don't get enough credit. Um, so thank you for all the work that you do just to show up and, and be the best version of yourself. Thank you. So um, on the flip side of that, um, have there ever been artists that have asked you to engage in their like pre-studio rituals? Actually, I can't think of an immediate example, but I was working with a writer and she was really great at vibe setting. She had incense and uh, she was she was great. She was very ritualistic in that sense. She would come to the studio with, with her incense and they always smelled really good. And, you know, I'm, I'm always fairly open to that type of stuff unless it's like something that I just don't do, like, like smoking or you know, anything distracting like that for me. Um, but, um, you know, that was always enjoyed that she had, she had a system and I, and I I don't know that I have a system, you know, I definitely come in, I got to unpack my stuff, you know, no no matter what studio I'm in, I'm I'm guessing that that's a type of ritual. Like I might go Mm -hmm. get a coffee or I don't know. I don't have a studio. I don't know that I have a studio thing. Like I got to come in and I have to do this where I can't work. You Um, got that smile. Yeah, you got got a smile for sure. Yeah, but that, but that, um, you know, I'm sure there. If I think deep and hard, I think there are more uh, artists that I can think of. But that's the mm-hmm. most when it comes to cool. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I was just wondering in like today's day and age of, um, you know, like I feel like everyone is starting to uh, become just a little bit more self-aware. 
And um, I just, yeah, was just interested if anyone was bringing some, um, like, not like weird vibes to the table, but um, anyways, scratch that. So next question <laughs> from, <laughs> from Cardi B to Rob Thomas to Alanis Morissette, you can produce anything. Um, how do you prepare to work in different genres? I was wondering if this is maybe like at all where studying comes into play. Um, definitely. So I think with each of these artists, um, I will have to say that I had an opportunity to work with great producers, right? I wasn't the lead producer on these projects. So mm-hmm. on the Cardi B project, I got a chance to work with Jay White. I also got a chance to work with Ku Carell um, on I Like It. And just sitting back and watching and learning from those producers on the Rob Thomas project, I got a chance to work with um, Butch Walker. Wow. Um, you know, cool. so it's it's learning from all these producers and what ends up happening is I'm such a sponge that I dissect a little bit from each producer by just watching. And then when it's time for me to actually helm a project, when I'm actually the, the main producer on something, then I can go back and, you know, identify everything that I learned and put it to good use and kind of um, allow all those all those lessons to coalesce. Amazing. Amazing. Um, What I will say as it pertains to, you know, in terms of my releases this year as a producer, I did folk, I did um, singer-songwriter, I did, you know, hip-hop and R&B, you know, each of those, each of those records, you know, I might use a different you know, digital audio workstation, a different set of software. So you're, it just sounds like you're not too attached to like any project you do. You just put your whole heart in it and then kind of mm-hmm. let it go. Do you feel like that? It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of what does the project need, right? What, mm. what service? I, I read that you're big about service and leadership. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might not be the bass player on this one, right? I'm <laughs> on the bass yeah. player. I might not play any of the instruments. I might just be you know directing and bringing in all the producers I'm sorry bringing in all the musicians and at the end of the day putting everything together and stitching everything together and mixing it you know and working with the artists to to identify the right elements what we're going to keep what we're going to take away and then some some projects I'm making the whole track you know in I'm in Ableton and I'm making the whole making the whole beat doing the whole thing So a couple more questions here before we get into Gender Amplified. Um, You are the elected governor of the Recording Academy New York chapter. What does this mean and how does this role contribute to the future of the modern music industry? Absolutely. So the Recording Academy is the governing body that brings us the Grammys, right? Everybody knows about the Grammys. Mm-hmm. But I don't think most people know about the Recording Academy as a charity-based nonprofit organization that does everything from producing a major televised award show to advocacy on Capitol Hill to education in schools to providing healthcare insurance for people who may not have it through its partnership with Music Cares. Um, And so that's a lot of work that has to be done. And um, the Recording Academy is a national organization um, that is largely run by volunteers, right? So there are many major chapters of the Recording Academy that exist all across the United States. Um, New York, LA, you know, 
Memphis has a chapter. Uh, you know, Atlanta has a chapter, right? So there's so many, so many chapters and so many smaller bodies that are responsible for helping to maintain the organization's infrastructure. And these boards are composed of volunteers who have been elected, right? So our peers have come together. They have selected us through our engagement with the Recording Academy, through word of mouth, through the relationships that we've established in the music business, through our credits and the references I'm associated with those credits um, as music producers, engineers, singer-songwriters, artists. There's so many different types of individuals who constitute um, the working members of the music business, right? Who are responsible for maintaining these boards of governance. So I was elected in 2019 to serve. Um, I've been on the board in New York for um, the last, I guess, four years as an elected governor. And it's given me the opportunity to do everything from advocacy on Capitol Hill with the Grammy organization um, to voting, to determining how certain awards get um, organized, how those awards are termed, what classifies as an award that that we provide that can be voted upon. Um, I sit on special task forces and committees for that type of thing. Um, also uh, in the producer and engineers wing, which is a very prestigious wing inside the Recording Academy for none other than producers and engineers. And we talk about everything from various standards, audio standards um, in the industry, whether it's Dolby Atmos, you know, whether it's um, you know, standards for high quality audio, um, whether it's specific codecs that are associated with DAWs, digital audio workstations. Um, um, we help to uphold the standards um, of music in the business as they change, as the industry grows and changes. Um, we are at the front of that conversation um, and helping to uh, standardize processes and, and, and formalize uh, the way we think about our industry because the former name of the recording academy is the national association of the recording arts and sciences so we are an academic organization we're a national organization um, and we're focused on the advancement of the recording arts in our society okay is ebony not just like so inspiring right that's why i was like this episode has to go out before the end of the year in fact, let's double this episode. So um, I hope you enjoyed part one. Keep your eyes peeled for part two. 